Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And I guess you could say this is the week after the week that was. Uh, We have been talking for weeks now about the upcoming election. The election is now history. And now we're sitting around trying to make some sense out of what happened. And to help us do that, we have a frequent guest of our program, uh, Brad Crone, who is a keen observer of politics in North Carolina, someone that everyone looks to for a reasonable uh, analysis of what's going on. Brad is, uh, uh, is in the business of consulting politicians and uh, has been doing that uh, since 1991. And before that, he had good sense that he was uh, in the broadcasting business with WPTF yeah. uh, News years and years ago, back when you had good sense. Uh, well, Brad, uh, you know, let's take a look first at the state of North Carolina uh, and uh, how that uh, turned out, because uh, I think probably uh, certainly the Democrats were looking for a better situation that came out. Uh, this week, you- yeah, this week was a long year, you know, <laughs> it, it, for the, in particular for the Democrats. Uh, I told um, Tom Campbell I was eating crow but it was a a flavor that I was very familiar with because I was like the Democrats looking at models that were very optimistic um, in particular with suburban voters and they didn't perform. They turned out they voted Republican. And when you look at the contest maps at the presidential level and the U S Senate level, Lieutenant governor's level, the governor's race being the lone exception, there's just a sea of red across the state with about five or six Blue Islands that are your metropolitan counties. So, well, uh, you know, one of the interesting things, and, and you know, I, I, we, we need to get in some detail in the, the state house and the state uh, senate and so forth, council state positions, the judicial positions. We'll talk about each one of those. But one of the things that was kind of interesting, uh, and we are, I, I must note, we're recording this program early this week. Uh, and so some things may have changed, but the state of Georgia uh, seemed to uh, have a, a a blue wave, whereas North Carolina uh, did not. And yet those states were very similar. And if anyone before the election had bet on one going a little bit more blue than red, I would have thought most people would have bet on North Carolina. Uh, what's your thought on that? Well, that's the obvious picture that you're looking at. So as I've said since Wednesday, the Republicans in North Carolina – did what they had to do. They identified the voters that were persuadable and they went out and knocked on their door. They sent them mail. They talked to them on the radio, talked to them through television, digital media, and then phoned them and then made sure that they got out to the polls. And clearly the uh, Republican coordinated campaign was a lot more effective in North Carolina than the Democratic uh, campaign, with the one exception being uh, the the governor's race, and the caveat Don in the governor's race is the fact that the lieutenant governor was outspent, probably eight, nine, ten to one, um, adding up the number of dollars that the governor had from contributions himself and money coming in from the Democratic Governors Association. It was probably a fifty million dollar race, and uh, the lieutenant governor Dan Farce 
between the money that he raised and the money that the Republican Governors Association put into the state, probably about $5 million. And that made a real difference with uh, voters in particular, uh, allowing Governor Cooper to cut his margins in rural North Carolina and in uh, suburban North Carolina, in particular with older voters. And they were very concerned about COVID-19 and, and basically wearing the mask. And uh, the governor has had extreme exposure since March, almost on a daily basis, holding the press conferences via TV and radio. And I think that was a big benefit for him. What about the lieutenant governor's race? That uh, You know, we talked about that last week, and that was the most interesting race to watch in, in North Carolina, most interesting council state race, I believe. And here you have a man who nobody has literally never heard of almost a year ago get on the statewide platform, uh, all because of a, a viral video from the Greensboro City Council meeting where he was talking about Second Amendment rights. And he built a following through grassroots North Carolina and through the NRA and gun rights advocates in the state. And that built him a statewide network. And he was able to catapult into the Republican nomination. And it also catapulted him into the lieutenant governor's position. And he's somewhat controversial. Don, I think it'll be interesting to see how he reconciles some of the statements that have been made publicly on Facebook, the News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer and some of the statewide media outlets like SOC TV and WBTV and WRAL, WTVD have, have brought up the issue that he made comments that were uh, anti-Jewish um, and and somewhat homophobic and um also critical of, of African-American voters who voted Democrat. So I think Mark Robinson will realize that some of the acidic rhetoric uh, may not cut so well when you're actually holding office. I did see an interview uh, Wednesday of this week, Don, where Mr. Robinson made the comment that those posts that he had on Facebook were personal posts and that he understands as Lieutenant Governor, he has to serve all North Carolinians. So I'm going to take him at his word on that and see how well he does. I think Senator Berger and the Republican leadership in the Senate will work very closely with him and, and help um, maybe insulate him somewhat until he gets a better grasp of the job and the duties that he has as Lieutenant Governor. Can you ever remember someone coming from a position of being relatively un totally unknown to being elected lieutenant governor or any position statewide in North Carolina? Uh, no, I really can't. Uh, and um, I, you would have to go back probably to uh, the 1950s uh, when William B. Umstead passed away and the lieutenant governor from Leakesville Sprague Draper up in Rockingham County um, succeeded and then governor sanford succeeded him um but i you, you know that's how far and i'm my mind's i'm having a senior moment blanking on uh the governor's name after umstead uh who founded the research triangle park hodges Hodge, luther hodges and you are getting old Yes, I'm getting old. So, I mean, he came literally out of obscurity. Uh, he was a banker with Wachovia out of uh, Reedsville. And uh, 
I, that, that would probably be a comparison. It is a historic moment simply because it's the first time we've had an African-American elected lieutenant governor. It's the second time in the state that we've had an African-American elected to the Council of State. Of course, Ralph Campbell served as their state auditor for three terms, uh, former city council member here in Raleigh. But he um, is a blue-collar worker. He went back to school as an adult to get his college education. He was working on his Ph.D., and, and uh, Mr. Robinson had said that one of his life goals was to, to finish his college education, his post-collegiate, um, uh, to get a master's and a Ph.D., and actually go back into the classroom and teach history. And uh, his political career has sidelined that effort. So... As an optimist, I hope that that he will work himself into the job and that he'll learn the job. There is no doubt, Don, that that he has eyeballs on the state capitol uh, and that I believe he will be a candidate uh, statewide again in four years running for an open gubernatorial ship. Have we now, uh, what does this do to the political career of, of uh, Dan Forrest? Is he essentially... Uh, now he's he's had a shot. He's been lieutenant governor. He's had a shot at the gubernatorial race. Is he essentially now finished as far as a statewide politician? No, I really don't. And the reason I say that is he has a strong base within the conservative element of the Republican Party. He has strong support among the right wing elements of the Republican Party across the state. I was impressed at his ability to have a statewide network that he that he was able to build. The, there were two elements that I think really impacted his race. He didn't get out and raise the money that he needed to get out and raise. Uh, you know, Roy Cooper raised $25, $30 million in, in his gubernatorial campaign this year. Four years ago, it was right around the same amount of money. Uh, Roy Cooper had a very organized, orchestrated, defined money-raising operation. Lieutenant Governor just never got that component of his campaign in order. And then the other element uh, that I think really hurt uh, was the lack of fundraising prohibited him to come out with a statewide message that was understandable, that was simple, that the voters could could embrace and support. His message primarily on COVID was don't wear a mask. And I don't think that was very wise or very smart or very respectful to the citizens of North Carolina, and I think that impacted him. I will say this about the Lieutenant Governor, Dan Forrest, I don't think his future's over. I think he can go back to Charlotte, get back into business, and then clearly look at running for United States Senate two years from now. Well, you know, we forget that that race is right around the corner now, and uh, um, it's... uh, uh, with Senator that, Burr, yeah, with Senator Burr not running, you're going to have a lot of people looking at it. Former Governor, Republican Governor Pat McCrory, uh, a very successful radio host in Charlotte right now, is looking at it. You have uh, outgoing Congressman George Holding here in Raleigh looking at it. There's been talks about possibly Phil Berger, the President Pro Tem of the State Senate, looking at it. There will be no shortage of candidates either on the Democrat or Republican side looking at the U.S. Senate seat. Well, and that's just, uh, I mean, that, that campaign is starting today because uh, uh, the uh, balance of power in the uh, United States Senate is is very close. And of course, um, in a midterm election, uh, that, that could flip uh, to the Democratic side and give uh, President Biden a lot more control, the control that he had hoped to have 
in this election that just didn't happen. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on, what happened on the national scene. Um, before we get to another question, let me simply say that uh, Brad Crone is our guest. He's the president of Campaign Connections. We're talking about uh, the, out, the fallout and the uh, results of this week's uh, historic election. And we will be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities. He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesman to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Our guest on uh, Carolina Newsmakers this week is Brad Crone, and we, I uh, guess, are just doing a, a, a Monday morning quarterback uh, analysis of what happened this week. Uh, we've talked basically about what happened in North Carolina. Uh, let's turn now to the, the national scene and uh, uh, what uh, the strategy of uh, President Biden was essentially to win back Pennsylvania Michigan, that uh, northern tier, uh, that apparently is what uh, has propelled him to the uh, position that he's in. Um, and uh, so uh, I guess the biggest surprise in all of this was the state of Georgia. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they will be counting votes uh, probably. I would imagine that the Trump campaign will ask for a revote there, too. Of course, they will go through a canvas process at the county level and then a state certification process, but that was a true jaw dropper. And the mail-in ballots coming out of Fulton, Gwinnett, Clayton counties, all metropolitan Atlanta areas played a pivotal role in that. And I think it will continue to say that Georgia is going to be a battleground state at the national level into the future simply because of the growth very similar to what you're seeing here in, in North Carolina. Um, was Georgia just basically better, uh, was the Democratic Party in Georgia just better at getting out their vote than the Democratic Party in North Carolina? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I've been working in, in elections since 1992 as a consultant. And I'll say this, the one thing if the Democrats in North Carolina learn anything is it, it is the important fact that your model is broken and that you've got to go back through and really revamp your model, both at the presidential 
Senate and statewide level, but also at your legislative level. What's happened in the past, Don, is the presidential campaigns have come in all the way since Clinton in 1992, bringing in uh, a team of, of people from out of state to work to turn out a Democratic-based vote. And they come in with great intentions, but what happens, they don't necessarily understand the political landscape. And that's a very big problem, um, in particular when you're dealing with key constituent groups um, importantly, African-American groups, union groups, the North Carolina Association of Educators, the State Employees Association. You've got to build successful coalitions, and uh, they've not been able to do that. The last time the Democrats won in the state was 2008 and the 1976. So clearly, they've got to look at a better model. They've got to have some people from North Carolina who understand our state, who understand the dynamics and the political landscape, making decisions on the ground. And if they, if they want to be competitive again, the one thing that amazed me, I was working with Mike Causey some and uh, watching the Republican uh, turnout operation was just absolutely so superior to anything that I've ever seen the Democrats ever do. And they started early from the state level to the district level, to the county level, down to the precinct level, identifying the voters that they needed to talk to, then working on a plan with local volunteers at the local level to be able to get out, to knock on the doors, to do the literature drops, to do the phone calls. I, I would dare say there were probably five or six million phone calls that the Republicans made to persuadable voters here in the state of North Carolina. Their turnout operation was very impressive. They knew what they had to do and they went out and executed it. Now we just made a statement a few months ago that Georgia was a surprise. Uh, Prior to the uh, election on uh, Tuesday, I think most people thought that Florida was going to be a battleground state and one that uh, the Biden people uh, anticipated that they had a really good chance of taking. And actually, that one was not even really close. What happened there? No, I was reading the Wall Street Journal about that earlier this morning, and it looks like the Biden campaign just collapsed with Latino voters, in particular Cuban voters in southern Florida. And it was all over labeling uh, Biden and uh, Senator Sanders as being socialist. And, and they weren't able, the, the Biden campaign was not able to get in and effectively communicate uh, to stop that communication or to counter that communication. And it impacted them. And, and the, the Cuban vote in particular in Dade County and Broward County went heavily for uh, President Trump. And that was a huge issue uh, and a, a huge base of votes that helped propel Trump. And so, again, the key learning out of that is the Democrats have got to figure out a strategy at the national level to say, what can we do to win Florida? Do we write it off at the national level and accept the fact that it's a, a safe Republican state? Uh, that may be the case for the next few election cycles. And rather than focus on Florida, look at Arizona and, and look at Nevada. Well, you know, one of the things that here in North Carolina, because most of the Hispanic population in North Carolina is of Mexican origin, and uh, the uh, Hispanic population in Florida is quite the opposite for, for the most part, or a large, large percentage of it is uh, uh, Caribbean-based, Cuban, right. and so South forth. America. And uh, the only common denominator between those two groups of, uh, of uh, Spanish-speaking people 
is the fact that they speak the Spanish language because they're not at all alike politically or even in their aspirations or needs. No, absolutely. That, that, that is correct. The, the one other major common factor is the Catholic Church there uh, and, and the impact that uh, social issues play with Latino voters. But when you look at the record of this administration and how they've handled some of the Mexican uh, and Central American uh, children that have attempted to enter the country, it um, should raise red flags for Hispanic voters everywhere. Money did not seem to uh, be as influential in all of the races this year as others because some candidates, as you mentioned, Lieutenant Governor, uh, the, the Lieutenant Governor's race in North Carolina, uh, where the uh, the winner did not spend nearly what the uh, the loser spent. Um, is that something we can anticipate is going to happen in the future, that money will not play quite as big a role? It, obviously, it always plays a role. Or is this just, uh, uh, just uh, something that just happened this year? Yeah, I think it's more of an anomaly. I think the Republicans invested their money early in to get out the vote and voter turnout, voter contact operations. Democrats uh, overwhelmingly were successful raising money down at the local level. The amount of money that came in from Act Blue uh, for legislative races clearly outperformed the Republican contributions. And that's one thing that worried um, my Republican operatives a great deal. Nathan Babcock, for example, with the Senate caucus and, and Jim Blaine, who worked closely with uh, Senator Berger, they were very concerned about the spending advantage Democrats had. The one thing that the Republicans were successful in, you look at North Carolina Senate District 11 in Johnston and Nash counties, and you see that the Republicans went in early, right after the July 4th holiday, and started communicating. They picked an arcane issue attacking uh, former Senator Alan Wellens from Smithfield about using a National Guard generator at a tobacco barn uh, that he owned to help a farmer who was renting his uh, crops, renting his land so that he wouldn't lose his tobacco. And that was all the way back during Hurricane Fran in, in 1996, but it stuck. They probably dropped 15, 16 pieces of mail, did radio down there and did television. And uh, before the Democrats had any money to communicate, Don, that race, that, that cake had been baked. So he, he went from a probably five or six point lead right after Memorial Day down to a 10 or 11 point deficit uh, going into Labor Day. So the, uh, my point is this, is I think the Republicans were so much more strategic and so much more advanced in their communications up and down the ballot. And that impacted their ability to get out their vote and be successful. You know, I, my hats are off. I, I talked to Jim Blaine on Wednesday and I, I told him my hats are off to him. I have a great deal of respect for him. And he understands in North Carolina the path to power. Were you, of course, this uh, another thing that was uh, historic about this election was the turnout. Because in many, many cases, while uh, especially in states like Pennsylvania, where Senator, uh, I mean, uh, President Trump uh, ends up losing, uh, but he actually got more votes than he got last time. The turnout right. was larger for both both candidates. 
I think in North Carolina, we may be looking at between 75 and 80% turnout. In some of the metropolitan, in, in Wake County, for example, we will be close to 80, 81% turnout. Now, one interesting caveat to that in the metropolitan, Mecklenburg did not perform as well as we've seen in the past. And a lot of that was due to the fact of, of the COVID virus and the fact that the, uh, this, the, the coordinated campaign for the Democrats at the national level, state level, and even down to the local level were somewhat disjointed. And they weren't able to get out and do the door knocking. They made a conscious decision not to do that. But the, the uh, turnout in Mecklenburg County, there were probably 50, 60, 70,000 votes left at home simply because they weren't able to get out and effectively get them to, to perform at, at the ballot box. But again, the theme for the week for me is the fact that the Republicans identified their voters. They knew who they needed to persuade. They identified their base vote. They did an excellent job of going out and getting new people to sign up and vote. I think there were 100,000 new evangelical voters who had not been registered to vote before to register and get out and cast ballots in this election. So they were masterful, Don, in um, turning up the base. And the last thing I'll say about turnout is this. The COVID-19 and the division that we see in our country from a partisan level helped drive the turnout too. Both bases were extremely excited. They were extremely energized about getting to the polls. And then, as I said, the Republicans did a really good job of identifying critical voters that they needed in suburban counties around our three major metropolitan areas, and then in rural North Carolina, east of 95 and west of Highway 77. Well, uh, certainly an interesting race, and thank you for all those comments. We're going to turn in the next segment to uh, the discussion about the Council of State positions in North Carolina and some other uh, issues as well uh, with our guest, Brad Crone, who's president of Campaign Connections and a frequent guest on this program, also frequent guest on Tom Campbell's program, North Carolina Spin. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. 
We're back with Brad Crone, who's the president of Campaign Connections and a frequent guest on our program. Someone we often turn to for a clear, uh, for his clear views on what essentially happens in the world of politics in North Carolina. He's been following it for years and uh, is recognized by both Democrats and Republicans as someone to listen to because of his understanding of the state. Uh, we, we've talked a little bit about the governor's race. We've talked a little bit about the lieutenant governor's race. And we've talked about uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, situation in Florida and Georgia as far as uh, comparing that to what happened in North Carolina. Let's turn now to the Council of State uh, situation in North Carolina. Uh, really, uh, no real surprises. I guess the, uh, the key observation there was the fact that uh, Josh Stein's vote was very, very close. And Don, as we speak, there's still 116,200 mail-in ballots that were applied for that have not been returned back into the state. They have until Thursday at 5 p.m. to get those ballots in. I don't think you'll see all those ballots turned in. Uh, there are probably some cases where people actually went on election day and voted. So there'll be some reconciliation that the Board of Elections are doing to capture that. Probably 50, 60,000 votes will present between uh, now and the end of the week. There are 40,776 provisional ballots at the local level that the county boards are going to have to go through. They will certify whether they are valid or invalid and then make the decision if they're, if they're invalid, they will be not counted. If they are valid, they will be tabulated in the reported out in the county canvas on Friday the 13th. So, um, you've got that race, the, the attorney general's race, 10,000 vote margin there. And then the chief justice's race, where there's a 3,000 vote advantage for Justice Newby in uh, his election over uh, Chief Justice Sh uh, Sherry Beasley. So those are two races next Friday we'll be watching very closely to see what type impact you have. I don't see any major changes. You know, uh, people say, well, why haven't they called the president's race? Why haven't they called the United States Senate race in North Carolina? Well, I don't see the, st the statistical probability of a switch, but they still want to go through the process with 100 and approximately 140 to 150,000 votes still to be tabulated. Uh, there could be a variance. I doubt it uh, very heavily. So um, we will be watching the attorney general's race. I was surprised somewhat that it was as close as it was. Um, if Jim O'Neill, he got outspent probably uh, two to one by Josh Stein. If there had been more money in it uh, where he was able to cut his margin, it would have been significant. Um, I, I would also say this, Don, I, I think there were a couple of really important, the, the most important endorsement in the state that I've seen has came from the State Employees Association of North Carolina when they endorsed the insurance commissioner, Mike Causey and Dale Falwell, uh, two incumbent Republicans. That endorsement, when you look at the voter turnout in Wake County, for example, helped trim their deficit by almost 50,000 votes. And that was huge. And so uh, the, the scenic support for those two incumbents were absolutely critical for their reelection. And, um, it, it will propel um, both of them into uh, 
re- into a second term. And I think as a result, you're going to see um, a lot of issues come out of that, in particular in the health care issue on the state employee health plan that uh, the insurance commissioner, Mike Causey, and the state treasurer will be teaming up with. Two other races on the council of state that were open was the superintendent of public instruction and the North Carolina Department of Labor. Uh, the elevator later uh, is, is uh, stepping down and uh, we'll have a new picture. Josh Dobson uh, won that race, Republican state representative from Surrey County up in Mount Airy in the Elkin area. A uh, very competent, very capable. And uh, Catherine Truitt, who was former education advisor to Governor McCrory, is going to take over at the Department of Public Instruction. That was an intriguing race to watch because the NCAE had gotten involved in that race and were supporting Jen Mangrum. But again, I go back to the central point of this whole show. It was Republican performance. And they were able to, to, to that I, I was doubtful that the president would have coattails in the state. But clearly, when you look at it, voters had a tic-tac-toe. They went in and voted for Trump. They voted for Tillis. They voted for Cooper, and then they went in and voted for Republican Council of States. So the Democrat who who ran, Elaine Marshall and, and Beth Wood, for example, um, held their own it's sort of status quo between the split between Democrats and Republicans. The other interesting race of outperformance of everybody was Steve Troxler. And I mean, he's he's sort of like Superman. He's a, he, He's made a steal and really did a very good job um, outperforming the president, I believe. And uh, it just goes to show, uh, Becky Gray had made a comment that it goes to show that people like seeing a man on a tractor in North Carolina. So, uh, you know, Steve Troxler, I I worked for Jim Graham when I left WPTF, and he was really a great uh, North Carolinian, great American, but I've got to hand it to, to Steve Troxler um, he's done an excellent job as our agriculture commissioner, and it's so important because it's still, you know, one of the major tenets of our state agribusiness is a major tenant of our state's economy. Two things I want to, uh, again, reiterate. We are recording this program on Friday due to some, uh, uh, well, basically the COVID-19 situation. We are, have started recording these programs earlier. So some things that we may say may actually change a little bit. Uh, before the final outcome. So please understand that. And we are purposely leaving off the discussion of the uh, very important United States Senate race to our last segment. Uh, We will bring that up and get your views on exactly what happened in the Tillis and Cunningham campaign. And we're going to do that in the final segment. I want to get back to the Council of State position. Uh, One of the races that was kind of interesting was the the race for insurance commissioner because uh, Insurance Commissioner Causey was in the news uh, uh, as uh, it was for, a rerun. Yeah, and then uh, but he was running against a former insurance commissioner. Uh, right. uh, did that? How did that? Uh, well, his opinions know, on that. North Carolinians typically don't like reruns when it comes to political campaigns. You go back to 1996 when Harvey Gantt ran for the second time against Jesse Helms, and that didn't turn out so well. And this was a rerun at the insurance commissioner level. And uh, 
Mike had won in, in uh, 2016 by a little bit over 40,000 votes. This time it's right at 200,000 votes. And uh, it, a lot of it stemmed out of the fact that, that Causey was able to build a strong political network working with the first responders across North Carolina. When he went into office, he made it a point to, to really reach out to the fire departments in rural North Carolina and suburban North Carolina, both the volunteer and the professional departments. They did uh, expedited inspections in the fire departments to get better fire ratings, which actually helps lower homeowners insurance rates. So that was a critical component. The other interesting element in that insurance commissioners raced on was the Greg Lindberg trial, insurance executive from Durham who was convicted of attempting to bribe uh, the insurance commissioner. It, it called up Robin Hayes, the Republican party chair in the race. And uh, it clearly showed to voters that, that Mike was a stand-up guy, that uh, he was willing to take on the people uh, who he deemed as inappropriate actors. He took on insurance fraud and corruption and uh, was willing to take on the, the big insurance companies as an advocate and champion for the state's consumers and patients. So he, he had a very good record going into the race and, um, you know, I, I, I have worked with them over the last two years, and um, I, it, it was a very satisfying race uh, to work on. I'm very impressed with his with Mike's uh, sincerity, also his work ethic. The guy is just an animal. Um, to be 70 years old, he puts in 12, 14-hour days, six days a week, and four and five hours on Sunday. The... Uh uh, just uh, some quick observations on early voting, mail voting, and election day voting. It seemed like election day voting actually turned out to be a lot lighter than most people had anticipated. People were afraid of long lines and so forth. That just didn't materialize in most cases. No, it really didn't. And that was simply because of the access to the ballot box through early voting and then the easy access through mail-in voting. And Don, I think that raises a really important point. Uh, when you look at the, the tabulations of same-day vote, Republicans did a very good job. I think the same-day vote was right at 950,000, close to a million votes, and the Republicans did a very good job in winning that same-day vote. Meanwhile, the Democrats had an advantage with mail-in vote and somewhat an equal, almost a push when it comes to the early voting as we move forward in, a, in, in North Carolina, I think we're going to see more and more access for mail-in ballots. I appreciated the, the ease of it, filling out the application, sending it in, getting it back, and then sending it back in, and having the ability to go online and check on the status of my mail-in ballot. So as we move forward as a state, Don, I think you're going to see more and more pressure from uh, the voters to the politicians saying, hey guys, let's make it as easy as possible. Let's look at expanding mail-in ballots even after we get over the Corona-19 virus. A lot of the attention paid to mail-in ballots has been because of the coronavirus, but I think it, it, it's a good exercise. And um, I think we'll see, I, I hope we'll see more and more mail-in ballots as we move forward. Our guest is uh, Brad Crone. We've got one final segment. In that next segment, we're going to discuss the very important United States Senate race and what uh, 
turned out to be, I guess, uh, uh, contrary to what the, the projections had been before the election on uh, Tuesday. We'll talk about that with Brad Crone when we come back right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our final segment this week of Carolina Newsmakers. Again, a couple of reminders. One, we are recording this program on Friday, and so some things may change in this ever-changing environment of this election. Uh, So some of the things we may have said in this program or may also say uh, in the segment that's ahead may change slightly, uh, probably not too much. Uh, but I did want to point that out so that you can keep that in mind as you listen to the program. Our guest is Brad Crone. He's a keen observer of politics in North Carolina, frequent guest on our program, also a frequent guest on Tom Campbell's North Carolina Spin program. Uh, and uh, as we said earlier, back when he had good sense, he was a uh, employee of WPTF years ago, and uh, that was back when he uh, had uh, all of his faculties working for him in a positive way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we have really uh, sort of reserved to this last segment a discussion of a race that uh, uh, actually went against what the uh, pollsters were saying. Uh, most of the pollsters felt like even though there was controversy that came up due to an infidelity uh, uh, situation in uh, Cunningham, that Cunningham was going to win. Actually, till it's won, and that is so important on the national scene because it will probably keep the United States Senate uh, in the uh, hands of uh, the Republican Party uh, and uh, create a deadlock or a gridlock, as I call it, uh, in uh, national politics to some degree. So what happened there, uh, Brad? What happened? Well, uh, late breaking voters uh, basically said they couldn't trust Cal Cunningham uh, simply because of the not one but two girlfriend situations um, and just, it was messy, Don. It was just, it, it, you know, uh, it's not comfortable to talk about, but, uh, it was messy. And the thing that really hurt Cunningham, the predicate he had laid 
was that here's this great family guy with a, a impeccable character who had gone to serve in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, after 9-11 and had served honorably, had been decorated for his service, and um, it fell apart when the first um, story of infidelity and then the national media broke the, the second girlfriend and she said she was upset that he was cheating on her because he, she didn't know about the first girlfriend. So, I mean, it, it just went from ugly to insane and that really impacted it. And, and there was enough time there for Tillis to, to pivot. The, the, uh, Cunningham had been very effective, I believe, in cornering uh, Senator Tillis in particular on the health care issue and um, had had a clear-cut advantage. I mean, going into uh, the last week of October, the first week of October, Cunningham probably had a 4.5-point lead. So it was not an unfamiliar situation for Senator Tillis. You remember in 2014, he was trailing Kay Hagan early in October too and really just put his foot on the gas. And again, it comes back to the theme of the whole show is the Republican performance and Republican turnout in early vote and in uh, same-day vote. And as the scandal really processed, Republicans had surges late in early vote of turnout and then they clearly commanded the same day vote. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't see uh, there there aren't enough votes out to statistically uh, change the race. Uh, Tillis holds on. The race may tighten up a little bit as the counties canvass next Friday. Uh, but Tillis will. I, I believe Tillis will be reelected, and I, I think the campaign will be good for Tillis. I think. Um, it is a, a sort of a cleansing process to go through that and to be affirmed uh, and to be reelected. And uh, that Tillis, if Trump is defeated and not in office, it will allow Tillis to be to have a lot more independent voice uh, than necessarily being tied into uh, the far right wing agenda that Trump promoted. So as a whole, I think it'll be a, a good day for North Carolina. Interesting enough, Cal Cunningham, I don't see a future for Cal simply because uh, primary Democratic primary voters will forgive him, but I don't think that they'll ever forget him, uh, forget the, the transgression, and uh, it, it will be a career-ending episode for Cal Cunningham. Well, many of the Democrats that, uh, that I talked to that uh, I think still voted for Cunningham still said, you know, it was incredibly... Uh, unforgivable of, of letting that happen uh, and uh, essentially losing their chance to take that seat. And uh, so I think he's probably uh, uh, at well, least. And in particular, when they turn, when, when Schumer turned down a, a great candidate such as Janet Kyle and another great candidate such as Jeff Jackson down in Mecklenburg County. There were other people that Schumer was talking to in the recruiting process, and he ended up with Cal because of the facade of a military record and, you know, great character and integrity. Yep. And it was just, uh, we are all, we all have clay feet. So I, I understand that. I get that. Um, you just don't want to see a divorce unfold in the United States Senate race three weeks before the general election. 
Well, essentially, the 2022 campaign has begun, and uh, there are two interesting things that we will be talking about for the next two years now politically. One is, of course, the birth seat that will be up, uh, and uh, when that comes up, that could be a very key seat uh, as far as uh, who controls the United States Senate. It's very close up there. Uh, and then also North Carolina by that time will likely have a 14th district. So that means almost all of the congressional districts will be reshuffled again. Um, in many cases, might maybe not uh, you know, a huge change, but almost every congressman is going to have a slightly different district. Uh, and uh, that, that brings up some very interesting questions. So uh, you've got about uh, two minutes to talk about the it really 2022 campaign. The redistricting issue is going to be paramount, and I think the legislature will push that off until late next year because the census data may not be coming in until the summer. But right now, the, Demo the Democrats picked up two seats uh, through redistricting, so it's an 8-5 split. It will be really intriguing to watch how the legislature looks at a 14th congressional seat in the state of North Carolina and where that goes. I think there are a lot of rising stars on the horizon for both parties. Uh, on the Democratic side, uh, as you look, I think there may be pressure on Josh Stein to seriously consider a U.S. Senate race. Uh, I also think that Jeff Jackson out of Mecklenburg County, a state senator down there, will be a, a candidate that people are talking about. Janet Kyle, the former state treasurer, is another name in Democratic circles that you hear as a potential candidate for the United States Senate in 2022. On the Republican side, George Holding, and, and uh, the Holding family um, is paramount. They've done a great job. Uh, George has done a great job in Congress. I think he'll be a candidate to look for in the U.S. Senate race as well. Another interesting name, again, that we talked about earlier as a potential candidate is going to be um, Pat McCrory from Charlotte. Uh, looking at 2024, clearly Mark Robinson is going to be an interesting candidate to watch. Greg Murphy, a uh, doctor out of Greenville serving in Congress. And then another interesting rising star that I say is Lisa Stone Barnes out of Nash County. Watch her projection and her career path moving forward. Thank you, Brad, for those great comments. Uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll have another interesting guest next week. So the next week on the same group of stations, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.